welcome back to another episode of Pillow Talk with Mark and B, the podcast where we just talk. I'm B, and I'm here with my boyfriend. Hello, hello, I'm Mark. How's it going, B? Not too bad. How are you? Oh, just, you know, living life, whatever. <laughs> it's, you know, it's chill life over here. <laughs> yeah, just every, take every day as it is, and that's how I do it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, before we get started, we've got some housekeeping. Yeah, if you want to message us, you can, you know, click on the links below. They'll take us to your email, to Instagram. You can also buy merchandise, some t-shirts, some cool hats. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what we sell. There's a lot of stuff on there. Uh, but you can also support the show on Patreon. And I really encourage you guys, if you're listening, support the shows you like. Even $1, you'll never notice it, but it makes a world of difference to me and B. Yeah, and we actually have a new Patreon. Oh, heck Yes. Thanks, Alex Miller. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we had a great, I had a great conversation with him this week. Um, he's going through some hard times with some friends, and I guess the podcast really been helping him. So we really appreciate the support. We're here to support you, and yeah, the whole circle of life thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, was that, no, that wasn't a message from him. No. Okay. Well, uh, so this episode is going to be interesting. Um, we're going to give you a little trigger warning, but before I read that here, we have um, a guest on, and I'm very excited to have him on. He's one of my favorite people in the world, and he's got a lot of insight on stuff that I've never dealt with, B's never dealt with, but like, it's stuff that's so common that it's worth talking about, and it's worth gaining new perspective, new knowledge on, and yeah, so Absolutely. if you want to read that... Yeah, so the trigger warning is that this episode we're going to be talking about sexual assault of a minor. We had one of our best friends best friends on the show to tell us about an incredibly traumatizing event in his childhood. He was only six years old when this all happened to him, and it was from somebody that he lived nearby. And it has the whole conversation goes into all of the problems that he's dealt with and the ramifications of that event over the course of his life. It's an extremely sensitive topic, but very, very important. And we're honored to be able to have him on the show and to bring awareness to this issue to create and create a safe place for him to share the story with whoever wants to hear it. Yeah, and most importantly, too, about this episode, if you listen through all the way to the end, he does give us some really fantastic tips um, on just how to get through it and just, you know, it, yeah, just, you know, you have to hear what he says because it's really powerful stuff. Absolutely. He's a fighter and he's seriously inspiring. It was such an emotional thing to record and to to listen to, but to to see him and who he is now and how he got himself there, honestly, it brings me to tears. Yeah, like I left the episode sad, but also with this feeling of like positivity, like that was fucking brutal, but man, did it ever make a good human. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he dives into that where it's like life will shape you and life will break you and it's it's you know your responsibility to pick yourself up and reparent and relearn and reteach because that's all we got yeah um we also wanted to go into trauma and we've talked about trauma obviously a lot on the show but it really genuinely affects every part of who you are to the point where if you extreme if you experience trauma as a child, it can end up affecting your immune system. Yeah. It's crazy how it all works. People with a history of childhood sexual abuse have an increased reports of fear, anxiety, insomnia, headaches, aggression, anger, hostility, poor self-esteem, suicide attempts, and obviously there's a higher rate of depression 
that goes along with that. And in his story, he kind of talks about a whole lot of that. And he shows us how those different things came out in his life in different ways. Yeah, yeah. It's a really heavy topic and we're really, really honored to have him on the show and to share this with you guys. Yeah, yeah, really honored. Thanks again, Matt. And uh, here's the interview. Here it is. Okay, so we got one of my favorite people in the whole world, one of my best buds uh, joining us today to talk about like a very, very delicate subject here, but something that I feel like we all need to be able to talk about more openly because otherwise it just gets bottled up and that's not good. And one thing I like about our guests here before I introduce them is just the way you compose yourself and the words you use, you're just so well-spoken. So without further ado, one of my best buds in the whole world, Matt, welcome to the show. You came, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to see you both. We're so happy you are doing this with us. We're so happy that we can open this dialogue and that you of all people are the one to share this story with us. Yeah. Um, One thing I also want to say too is like, a lot of people will probably know you on the discord or whatever just maybe don't spam matt messages like we're not trying to do that like feel it out as best as you can um like he's open to talk about it but that doesn't mean he wants his inbox flooded with a thousand i'm sorry that happened to you you know yeah so just use your best discretion yeah yeah guys bad things happen to people it's it's okay like oh we'll all go past it we'll be fine yeah absolutely So before we get started, um, I want to go over some statistics because what we're going to be talking about is sexual abuse and it's a heavy, heavy topic and we understand that, but we want to kind of bring forth that this happens to way more people than you'd think and it's a scary, scary number. So research indicates that 25% of children are sexually abused prior to their 18th birthday. Most children are molested by someone they're related to or know very well, like relatives, neighbors, or family friends. One study indicated that one out of every 10 men has been molested as a child. Despite the high rate of sexual abuse, only 16% of victim child victims are able to tell someone that they're being abused, and only 3% of sex offenders are caught and prosecuted. Most offenders are able to get away with child molestation, um, or child molesting uh, children years before they are reported to law enforcement, making it impossible to, to you know, deal with or punish or arrest them or anything like that. And Matt, you have your story, and we're going to dive into that because you can relate to almost all of that, unfortunately. So yeah, that's, that's let's yeah. let's dive into that. So first of all, again, thank you, thank you for being here. Why are you here? Why are you wanting to share this with us? Yeah, so unfortunately, when I was around the age of six, I was molested by a next door neighbor. Um, You know, unfortunately, for a lot of my life, it was, I would say, so traumatic that unfortunately, I had repressed it for a long time. It kind of all came about through. Uh, a bit of a break, a bit of a mental break in my 20s, where all of this information began flooding back to me. And unfortunately, it was an example of being taken advantage of um, by a predator for, you know, a opportunistic attack, I would say. 
Yeah. So let's dive into that. So this, again, you said it happened when you were six. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, I used to live in a cul-de-sac, which is obviously a kind of enclosed group of houses and enclosed road. And so plenty of kids to play around and stuff. And it was a fairly active community. Um, a lot of the houses in the UK are also detached or, uh, sorry, deta- semi-detached or terrace houses, we call them. So they're all connected. Um, but I, I remember being around the ages of six years old. My brother was probably about nine years old. And you used to be able to hop from our garden over a pretty serious gap, by a 10-foot drop gap, but to be able to get up onto the roof of my bedroom. And I remember one day a ball went across the, uh, the gate to the back garden into our next door neighbor's house. Um, I was told to go and get it as the younger brother. Obviously, you have certain duties that you're not allowed to say no to. Um, so I hopped over and I found the door was open or at least, you know, it wasn't locked. And as a six-year-old, I was curious, you know, this guy, I had, I had known him. He was my next door neighbor since I'd grown up. So I had known him my whole life, not that I had been necessarily, necessarily close because he was a much older guy. Um, but yeah, so I, like fifties. Uh, yeah, 50s or 60s, something like that. So a lot older. Um, but yeah, he basically find me in his living room. <laughs> you know, what are you doing in here? Kind of what's going on? Me as a six-year-old freaking out. Um, and yeah, the, you know, it kind of came to the point where it was, well, I'm going to, you know, have to tell the police or this, that, and the other, the things that a six-year-old would believe would ruin your life forever and ever. Um, and I remember he walked me upstairs uh, into a kind of a separate, like, storage room. And I, the crippling part about this is the amount of vivid, the, the kind of the color that it all comes through with. And I can imagine, I can see the the dresser very clearly and I had a picture of his grandfather on there in black and white and uh he told me about how you know he asked me about my grandfather and I loved my granddad and he told me about how his grandfather died and he wasn't able to see him anymore and it made him very sad and it made me incredibly sad as well um thinking about my granddad and that one day I might not be able to see him again. Um, so I was very racked with emotions. Um, he took me into the next room, and that's where my mom, my memory goes pretty black. I can remember it being a thin room with netting curtains and the curtains drawn, but not a lot else, um, which for me is really... You know, one of those things that will haunt me until I die. Um, and then I remember leaving the house through the front door. So obviously this memory kind of coming back to me in my 20s after a lot of drinking. I tried to blow it off, as most people do. This didn't happen. This couldn't happen. Why would this happen? But unfortunately, it, there's only so much time you can spend lying to yourself my 
brain had tried to protect me and obviously I had broken those gates and things wanted to come out. Right. So when it happened, you, you kind of blocked it out. Your brain was protecting you. Your, your brain didn't want you to remember certain things. And so you had to leave. I was in the wrong at that point. That's what you have to remember. Like I, I was the guilty party because yeah. effectively whatever happened to me was just punishment. And it would have been a punishment that I had no way of understanding if it was appropriate or not for me. So you had so, gone into this house and he told you that if like what he could do is call the police, you'd be put in prison forever. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, six-year-old kid thought that if you had told anybody what had happened, he would tell the police. I, I, I was terrified of what would happen. I, I, I had been in his house without his permission. My, my parents didn't tell me. I, as a six-year-old, you should not have to tell your, right. your child the validity of crimes. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I thought, you know, he was an adult. I had done wrong and that you know this is and particularly in my family where we were very you know we weren't emotionally close and it would be more you know kind of guilt or punishment rather than support okay. that was not naturally the way that I accepted things to be you know wow so you didn't as six-year-old kid you didn't tell anybody you were scared of getting in trouble when did it all come out that this had happened and when did you start dealing with the fact that this actually happened to you it's like i said it, it kind of came about around about my 20s but it was it was it was at a point in my life where i i knew there was something wrong with me i i knew that there was something broken and wrong and and it's like i said i I tried my best desperately to deny and to to kind of replace myself back but the unfortunate realization that I came to was there is no there's no appropriate reason for a man of that age to bring a child that he has no relation to to that to that to upstairs in their house without their parents knowledge that's and for having such a clear and vivid memory to have something completely blocked. One thing I do pride myself on is my memory. And I, I said, I believe I said earlier, I could count the number of steps in this guy's house. And that's what terrifies me. And the sad thing is what I was most afraid of, and particularly at the time when I originally, you know, came to this realization, the, the thing that I was most terrified of was that I would remember. Because mm -hmm. I thought that would be the thing that killed me. Right. Okay, I, so stepping back into your teenage years, you were still kind of avoiding it, still not really, you know, bringing it forward. Your mind was still protecting you and hiding it away. How were you as a teenager? What would, were you well-behaved? Were you... Well-behaved to, well to a fault. I, I, was, ter I was terrified of most things, you know? And for me, guilt was, the, the fear of disappointing my parents always followed with me uh, all the time. So, you know, I, I would, I was basically your star 
student, not to brag or anything, <laughs> but you know, I I was the kid who on parent teacher nights like glowing, like the grades were great, all, all this kind of stuff, but I I was so incredibly sad, and I remember saying to my parents, I I I couldn't remember a time when I had felt happy and it was it was a long time and not in and not in a way to like get at them but I couldn't remember feeling happiness like I remember laughing I couldn't remember that feeling that you're meant to feel from it and it had been such a long time since I had felt that feeling wow. and it was it, a part of me was stunted like like emotionally stunted you know I, I wasn't able to cry at my grandparents funeral like mm. things like this like where I I wasn't able to process things and it was because obviously this happened at such an early age and for me was completely barred off as not being necessary and right. You know, it's one of those things where I probably thought, you know, what happens when you're when you're a kid and you get punished is you think about it for a couple of days and then you're like, well, learn my lesson. We do that again. Right. And how were your relationships in your teenage years? Did you have a lot of friends? Did you have any girlfriends? So I was always very uh, I could always kind of talk to anyone. And I never particularly had any issues or anything like that. But I was, I always kept myself to myself. Like I was, you know, your thicker boy. So I got like the end of like, you know, a bit of the bully and, and all of these kind of things that you kind of go through, which is part of life. So it doesn't make me anything special. But um, when I was about 15, years old just in time for my uh receiving my gcse's which in the uk is you receive your gcse's and then you're able to apply to college through that or our form is sixth form and then move on to university afterwards um but my brother had attempted suicide at that time he had just come back from university um i was the only one in the house at this point so it was kind of all up to me to bring the ambulance, like, mm. you know, get the door kind of sorted out. And I was so angry. Like, I, I was so angry at this point, and I had such rage. And I had such rage towards my family as well, because they had forgotten about me at this point, you know, mm. effectively. And they've acknowledged this as well. Like, at that point, they did, you know, put me to one side, because, you know, oh, people are... Yeah, people are in need, but it was how long they kind of left that. So when I got to the point where all of this kind of broke through, I I had no trust in people. I, the only thing I could think was my parents would be ashamed of me or mm -hmm. upset with me, or they would they would punish me again. Like I was still like a six year old boy and they would there was still a way that this could come back and like even more so like when I thought of my dad who was a very 
you know, masculine guy and who was very much, you know, the role of caregiver provider, but not emotionally available. What would he, would he think of me as less of a man? Like, I'm, am I not a person anymore? Because effectively this person dehumanized me. Right. Um, when did this come into play? When did you, you had mentioned you were in your 20s. Was there a moment that you were just like, oh, fuck, like this happened? You had been blocking it out your whole life and never really dealt with it. What was that moment? Yeah, so I, like I said, I had been drinking particularly heavily um, around about that time. Drinking, you know, doing drugs, mainly smoking weed and, you know, doing coke or whatever kind of, I did I had I had no care for myself because effectively, yeah, and I was looking to get into trouble. Effectively, I, I mean, it's like I said, I at that point, unfortunately, you know, I was self harming. I was suicidal at that point, uh, but like I said, from seeing the after effect of what suicide does to people, I I couldn't commit to that. I knew I couldn't commit to that. It had been taken away, so regardless of how much you convince yourself you want that, that's off of the table. Because that's that's the thing for me. Even the pain I was feeling wasn't worth inflicting that pain outward. That's, I wouldn't be able to think of anything, but, you know. So you kind of, you move past those ideas. But in my mind, I could go out and I could get really drunk and I could wander into traffic. Or I could get into a fight. And in I I was trying to get someone to do the work for me. Is and like there's no there's no need to sugarcoat it. That's what I was effectively going out looking for. I wanted to poison myself or be bludgeoned or be an or because I I didn't care about myself. There was no need. It, it wasn't that I was drinking because I enjoyed it. It wasn't even that I was drinking to forget. Drinking was a means. I knew it would lead to something that I couldn't come back from, regardless of how long that take, took, because everything else was meaningless. Time had stood still for me. Wow. So one night you were drunk, and what happened? So I was sat in an alleyway, um, and yeah, kind of, I, I don't know, the way that I describe it is you see something from your past or like you smell a smell and like suddenly you've got this razor sharp kind of memory coming in. And for me, that's what happened. And it's really weird. If you think if you're going to make something up it is more interesting than the house next door that you've never been inside of, and yet you remember every detail and every inch of the layout. And, you know, the morning comes around, I'm hungover. Usually I've forgotten everything that's happened, but this is still, is there. And I can't shake it. So I start, start thinking like, okay, right. This is just obviously like, you know, I'm just my mind's fucked anyway you know i should be on medication i'm not on my medication when i take my medication i do a lot of drinking like or i'm looking i'm worst thing that came was I, i'm looking for something to make me special that was the worst thing 
because in my mind I thought well imagine if this never happened mm-hmm. and that was crippling to me like that that was another thing that I kind of because in my mind like it's like I said everything is so crystal clear I can remember the full day and yet this 30 minutes an hour two hours however long it is is this complete black spot and is is so terrified and I was so terrified and honestly like at that point I I knew that if any if I could piece together exactly what happened I would have killed myself so your body was protecting you your brain was protecting you I mean I I think yeah I think still I is protecting me it's like I said I'm I guarantee I feel like one of these days you know something something might come back and I'm terrified right on it honestly terrified right so when this all came to a head and you kind of pieced together like something happened what the fuck how long before you started to really deal with it so I would say a good few years and, and still that self-destructive behavior were you still drinking yeah I mean yeah still piling through I mean if anything it gave me more of a reason to drink in in my mind you know this was the point of no return because I had I had been judged as nothing from years and years and years ago so I was a throwaway I of experience and that's all I was and that's all I was viewed as and it takes a lot to come back from that someone can tell you they feel a certain way about you and it hurts someone can prove that they feel a certain way about you and it tears your soul and it's not easy to repair that. And I think that, that was the point I was at. I, I had firmly believed that my life was nothing and I would amount to nothing. And this, is, this was my lot. And it wasn't because I had been made a victim. It wasn't because I had a victim mentality. It's because I felt like I had just nothing to give. Right. Anything, anything that I could have learned throughout those years was stunted and I had to go back so far to be able to try and piece together some semblance of a foundation. Right. So when did you start dealing with it after years of, you know, drinking and all that kind of stuff? What was that switch for you? So I think for me, um, my drinking got particularly out of control when, you know, I I had passed out in the woods three o'clock in the morning, uh, the middle of October next to a river. If if I would have fallen one way, I would have, you know, probably died. Uh, but luckily I fell the other way, which was into a bush, and a jogger and his dog sniffed me out. He was terrified because he thought I was dead. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, he called up my parents. I had no sympathy from them. Um, 
and basically I thought, you know, I'm I'm gonna get over with. Like I I am at rock bottom. Like for me, I thought that was my rock bottom. I was like, right, this is this is the point now where there's no coming back from this. Like you're you are pathetic. And you know, every time like I would work out and as I was working out with each rep, I was telling myself how much I hated myself. Like this like continually and the only voice in my head was one of negativity and you know this like kind of you know suicidal thoughts or whatever you want to deal with and honestly like you know finding a community really helped me out like i i did speak to obviously i know mark through laura hammett which is his podcast and we won't go too much into that but I did like mention at one point to Mark, like I was very much struggling with depression at the time. And one, I thank my missus for getting me to actually take a look at myself and understand like what's going on. But she in particular said to me, like, get, get a fucking hobby, you nerd. Like, stop being a loser all the fucking time. And, you know, I honestly being part of that and being able to communicate with people i'm realizing like actually we're in a world where no one seems to have a grasp on what's going on you know and maybe being able to give something back is is an incredible thing to do you know is is for the soul it's not like i'm like up my own ass but for the soul is an incredibly cathartic thing to be able to walk up to someone and say I don't know your story because I, I never try and, you know, I have empathy. I can't, I can't relate to you. You've had a completely different life from me, but to be able to say, these are some things that you can move past. And these are some things that you can do is, is the most important thing to be able to pass on to someone. Yeah, like even just like mine and your relationship, like you have been able to provide me so much joy and like happiness. We make jokes, we share common interests, but like you've also been able to put yourself in my position. You're one of the people where I can go to you and ask for advice. And, you know, yeah, man, it just there's something about talking to other people and helping other people that that does lift you up and i just want to say thank you for doing that with me and helping me in that way even well but it's honestly like you know finding finding your community finding my messages and stuff is actually opened me up to being able to love which is something that i wasn't able you know i i physically was not able to do that i couldn't love myself like I, 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 it was something that was so blocked off to me, even, you know, towards my family and my parents, like I felt this obligation of love, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel anything. I was stunted and I felt like I was broken. And, you know, like obviously speaking to Mark and stuff like, and building a plutonic love, like throughout our friendship like you know that helped me spread out into the community and be able to do that with other people and it's something that i'm eternally thankful for and it is one of the things that really changed my life and helped me 
get a grip and a better foundation on things. So, you know, thank you, Mark. And like, hey, man, we, fuck, man, I love you, buddy. Love you too. I love, I love you both, and that's what I mean. You, you guys doing something like not to sidetrack too much, but yeah, yeah, you guys doing something like this has helped me as well. You know, yeah, being and, able to and it, retrospect such a tough conversation to have and stuff, and like, but man, it's 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 like you said, this is real. This is real life. Like, yeah, and people people will bleed rather than heal. You know, yeah. and this is the this is the issue nowadays. Is that struggle is good? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, you know, and that's a really hard thing to come back from. But and we have to we have to tear ourselves down to be built back up. And the world is a harsh place, and you can go from a place where you love nothing to having your heart filled by people which is an incredible thing that's amazing it's this is just you're an amazing human i (laughs) so let's talk about how all of this trauma has transformed into relationships on a romantic level um yeah i know we're all getting so emotional here Um, god i promised myself i wouldn't cry (laughs) so how many let's well let's talk about sex what's your sex like let's let was it always good was it bad growing up my my sex life has been non-existent to horrendous Mm. and a long gap in but you know i i think i I said, and I'm fairly open with it, that I was a virgin until about 21, I believe. I've had two girlfriends. I think I've kissed about three girls. Uh, you know, I am not the ladies' man that I seem to be. Um, <laughs> but, you know, part of me, part of me, to be honest, had, when other, when all the guys were talking about sex and stuff, like, for me, I, I just, maybe it was because I already had it, but I didn't, it didn't click. It didn't fucking, nothing, nothing made sense. Like talking, talking to women, I was terror. I was terrified that I would make them afraid. Like, what if I did something wrong? I don't know how to talk to women. Like, why would a woman want to talk to me? Like, how, how do I do this? Because I'm not, I'm not worth a while. I can't so were you anything. afraid of coming across as a predator? Yeah, I I would say so. Yeah, and part of me, you know, when by the time I was thirteen, I basically had like nearly a full beard. I was mm. six foot something. I like in my head, I was just like, no, this this is I'm gonna do something wrong, like because because that's the thing. I think. And I think the issue is a lot of young people are so focused on sex. And I, I was terrified of relationships. I desperately wanted a relationship, but I thought that had to lead to sex. And I wasn't ready for it. And there were reasons why I wasn't ready for it. Like I, I was completely like, because the thought of sex turned me emotionally into a child again. Mm. That's, that was the amount of emotional 
growth that I had developed towards this. And it was this fear and anxiety of, one, I'm unworthy, like not in like, you know, your typical like nerd way, but like, I am not worth anything. Like, not like I'm unworthy of the prettiest girl in the world. Like, I'm nothing. And I have nothing to offer. So why would I inflict myself upon someone? Because because effectively, that's the way you feel. You feel like you are a cancer. You know, like this is, and you feel like the way that you interact with people is cancerous. And it takes a long time to like, break those things um so still in my relationship now i mean you know i we were speaking earlier about sex i think i said to you and i spoke to my missus i think we've had sex by two times last year this year we've had sex once so we're going for a winner it's only three months in um but i unfortunately i can barely sleep and i mean and the euphemism i I can't sleep with my missus a lot. Yeah, let's talk about that because you said that you had nightmares to the point that it gets violent. Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, a couple of times I have, you know, I I often scream in my sleep, um, you know, fairly loud, which is obviously unpleasant, but I don't remember what's going on a lot of the time. So that's a blessing, I suppose. Um, But yeah, on the rare occasion where my missus has tried to wake me up because it's, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning and I, I am aggressive. I, I try to fight. I'm, I'm constantly, and obviously that's happened more as I've become older. You could say that has to do with testosterone or something more, but in these fight or flight scenarios now, I, become completely overcharged and that's interesting yeah that you said the fight or flight yeah some people just go inwards where yeah your yours is yeah survive by fighting yeah Yeah. and and even when you're awake you don't like to be touched no no um yeah i i really struck like and it is basically a feeling of or it's almost comparable to pain it's like a static shock for me um so my missus you know she'll try and touch my leg or like touch my chest or my stomach or you know something like that as a light caress and i i can i can feel myself crawl into myself it's like it's like this the feeling of cringe you know that cringe feeling but if you if you focus that on a point and magnified it and is is excruciating because i i make my missus feel like i can't bear to be touched and you know this is obviously affected our love life um it you know it affects a lot of things like i I can't really deal with handholding and all of these things. So this, I, and even stuff like eye contact is like intimate eye contact is really 
and I don't like to use the word, like triggering, as in it causes a physical reaction in me that I cannot, um, not like I'm pissed off at this. Like, is, is but this anything involving any level of intimacy is just a huge thing for you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's complete. And uh, it's like I said, I, I used to self-harm. I work as an engineer. I have a fairly high pain threshold. I've dropped things on my hands. I, pain for me is not an issue. Like I, I but I, I, you know, I could like drop things on my hands or hammer my hands or, you know, drag scalpel blades all day. And yet I feel this so, so keenly. And it, it's like being, it's like being stabbed by a knife. And is you you can pass on a lot through a touch, and to have that taken away from me from such a young age um, is something that's obviously difficult to to manage and work through in a relationship. But fortunately, my message is actually fantastic. Uh, yeah, you've been with her for like five years. And like, when did you kind of first tell her about all this? Because like, yeah, like, like, shout out to the girl. My yeah. God. Yeah, she's wild. I'm the strongest woman who I've ever met. And yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have even started dealing with this without her. Uh, she knew, she knew there was something wrong. Yeah. My nurses. You know, she's a little bit older than me. She's six years older than me. She moved across the world to live in a new country. She's a very intelligent woman. And I I assumed myself to be fairly mature. Um, but there were obviously some things that I was so severely lacking in. Emotionally, I was so, so like, you know, like just because we have sex twice a year, I do work. Okay. All right, I'm pretty pretty good at what I do. Um, that's so good, fine. you only have to do it twice, eh? That's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. I can only get the permits for two times a year. But and it, now we had talked about medication because you've been diagnosed with PTSD. Yeah, that's correct. So, so this that also was, uh, affects your sex life. So let's talk about yeah. that a little bit. So I take um, it's a telegram and take 40 milligrams per day, which is the highest dose that you are uh, legally allowed to be prescribed in the UK. And um, so telegram for people who don't understand or aren't particularly aware with this type of uh, type of medication, a lot of times sertraline is used. Um, but unfortunately, particularly in younger men, sertraline when used often exacerbates the problem of suicidal thoughts. So sertraline for me, I tried it a little bit, did not get on very well and moved over to citalopram. Um, but the issue with citalopram is it has got a very, a very sharp cut, I would say. I almost, I almost said it was a trade-off earlier. You trade some of your humanity for clarity which is it takes off those upper limits. Like what I would say is the peaks of humanity, which are obviously the highest highs and the lowest lows that let us know that we're alive. It curtails those. 
for, for someone who wakes up every day thinking about their lowest lows, that obviously helps to put things in perspective, but people don't understand the, you know, the, the kind of side effects, ramifications, however, however you want to kind of talk about that effectively, you know, there are sometimes, sometimes you're depressed because your neurons aren't firing correctly. Sometimes you're depressed because you're feeling bad and stuff. You know, there's a difference between clinical depression and... And lacking self-regulation, yeah. Exactly. And unfortunately, you know, like, knock-on effects like this, they do, you know, children are sponges. So we, we cement emotional moments from our history and they become landmarks in the landscape of our mind. And if you have a broken landmark, which gives you no navigable place to start from, you end up skew. And that's where I was for a lot of my life until I kind of find my nurses and she straightened my compass, not dirty, but helped me find a place and a perspective and being able to step back and do yourself justice. I, I was abused and no one helped six-year-old me. Right. So why can't I go back? And help a younger version of me you know if i don't if i don't know how to fucking manage it sorry if i don't know how to manage my emotions and how to logically construct my thoughts because of something someone else did in half an hour an hour space of time that will now rule my life forever yeah until until i am dust will that be my landmark is that going to be what's written on my tombstone? No. Yeah, and, I will because I'll relearn. Yeah, and and I can I can speak to that just like your clarity of thought and like the way you construct your sentences and just like, yeah, man, it it's very intentional. It's very intentional, and we've had plenty of deep conversations where I just take away like so much, which is like, holy god, that guy's on a different level. And this, by the way. Um, we had talked about counseling earlier and you tried it, but this is mostly your own research and you reparenting yourself and learning tools. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So um, it's exactly like you said, the counseling, although the UK is fantastic for some things and we do obviously have our free healthcare, which is wonderful. There is a long waiting list and, you know, something that I feel very strongly about is helping people who struggle, but I wasn't able to do that because I was struggling. You know, you can't you can't be draining in an ocean and try and save the next man unless you've got something to hold on to. So I was looking for something to hold on to. And the only thing I knew was that I didn't know anything. So I and someone actually explained it to me in a way that I found really useful, which was okay, see yourself as a young child again. So for me, obviously, I've got a lot of voices in my head. I know some people think internally, some people think externally. 
but I got a lot of voices in my head. None of them were particularly nice. And the funny thing is, and Mark will get this, obviously on Lorehammer, we use the Discord. I know you guys have got a channel now, so I would go into the Discord quite a lot. And even though I was suffering, you know, it was easy for me to take my mind off of things. You go in there and people talk about other stuff. So I started seeing my mind as a Discord voice chat. So I would be sat in there on my own, doing my own thing, you know, painting away or doing a little drawing or something like that. Suddenly, like, beep, someone comes in. You should kill yourself. You're not worth living here. Like, you should do that. Like, pictures come up in the voice text feed, like all of these horrible things that I should be doing to myself. All of them completely unwarranted from out of nowhere. And I thought, would I take that shit mm. if I was signed Discord? Like, would I take that shit from some idiot who's calling me shit? Like, no, you would you would block him or you would mute him or someone else would stand up for you. Yeah. So I started trying to be the voice that would if if I didn't stand up for myself, I would at least try and logic back. Because uh, because depression is illogical, and it it makes you do illogical things because it, it muddles the brain. This is the, this is the issue, and this is what PTSD does as well. Because you take a you take the central part in your brain, and it almost feels like every synapse is connected to that point. So suddenly, anything that runs through smoothly hits a road bump, and has to be turned against you. And that was my real issue. So anything I reached out for, I couldn't focus on because it all came back to this negative thing in my life that had no connection or bearing. Like our life is completely connected at each and every aspect of it, but it had no bearing. Yeah. And there was no Somebody reason. did that to you. You did, That wasn't your fault. Somebody did that yeah. to you. It has no place. I, I said, this is a, it is a punishment without recompense. There is no vengeance to be had. This, this is not something that someone else needs to suffer for. This, this is life. This is suffering. We fall down. We get pushed down. There are bad people. And all we can do is try and judge ourselves and improve. Because we are not born victims. We are not made victims by others. We turn ourselves into victims. We are the only people who can chain and cage ourselves. And we do it so willingly, you know, by all of these things that weigh us down, these steel links of depression and anxiety and trauma that we carry so dearly to our heart, you know? What would you tell somebody who's gone through what you've gone through and has not dealt with it or not trying really, to deal with it yeah, or, or is trying to deal with it or not even really opened that box yet? What would you say? Where do you stand as a person objectively? Because I find that's what, that's what helped me. And to say, and I say that is in a lot of people assume that they're just the worst and no one judges themselves objectively anymore. And I, I certainly, I thought I was, a, I literally thought I was nothing. I had convinced myself, my brain had convinced myself that I was nothing 
and I was worthless. So anything that I did could not inherently have any worth in it. So life became meaningless. So when, when you get to that point, what, what can you do? You, you can't do anything because, because you, have no, you have nowhere to look. And it comes back to like, actually, I'm not special. I, I, I don't know if I said earlier, but I had, you know, I, there were two conflicting ideas in my head. Either God hates me or I'm not, and I'm not special. As in two special as in like yeah. different and yeah. set apart. Yeah, exactly. Like either God hates me and he's focusing all this time onto me to make my life shitty or I'm not special. Mm-hmm. And the far more logical thing is that you're not particularly special. So what does that make you? That makes you average. Average is pretty good mm-hmm. when we think about it. On the scale of humanity, mm-hmm. what people actually do to each other and what people can do. So you take yourself and you realize that you're, what, 25% better if you haven't killed someone in cold blood? Right, we're going up the ladder. Okay. <laughs> so what else? I'm nice to people. That raises me up a little bit more because these people who hate themselves, they're not usually nasty people. Mm-hmm. They're usually the nicest people around. Well, treat, it's like suicide. You don't kill yourself because you hate yourself. You kill yourself because you don't think anybody else loves you. You don't think anybody exactly else loves that. And then you are, and then most of these people find out afterwards how loved that they are. And like I was someone who saw that firsthand. You know. Right. So we we take ourselves and we put ourselves on this objective slider and we start moving ourselves around because we realize the world is full. And I might not be the best, I'm definitely not the worst. So I can put myself in the middle. And when you do that, you can give yourself perspective. If you know where you stand, you can either climb or you can jump. You know? mm. Yeah. And I mean, if you go back to the numbers, one study indicated that one out of every 10 men has molested a child. That's a lot of fucking children. So yeah. in your terms, like you're not that different than most people walking this earth. Like, And it's such a sad number and a heartbreaking statistic. But to that end, if more people start talking about this and normalize this kind of a conversation in a healthy way, what can we do? How can we impact those around us? Yeah, it's unfortunately something that we seem to think is new. And every time something horrible happens, we always think that we're the first to co-opt it or to make it reality you know, murder and all of these horrible things have been around since the dawn of time. And yet we as humans know that they are so deplorable. We don't have a defense for it. Like we have no no unifying defense. So we have to put it to ourselves to say, no, this is where it stops. No more. Wow. Wow, Maddie boy, I'm, I, like, I've been crying off and on this whole time. I am so grateful that you're here and sharing this story. And I know that this is going to impact people. And I know that this gives added perspective to a shitty world that we live in. And we're just so grateful for you. Yeah, man. Slide that bar up just a little bit more on that awesome scale, because dude, you're fucking awesome. Fucking incredible. Try my best.
thanks to you two, like not only for doing this podcast, which is so desperately needed, but I mean, broaching this topic is, it's tough. It's tough for everyone, you know, like, and it takes, you know, it takes courage to talk about it, but whatever, you know, like it takes courage to be able to put this out there. And thank you for giving me a platform to share my story. You know, I, like you guys said, like, I'm open to DMs. I don't you listen to the episode if you want. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like I've been fairly open with you guys. There's not a lot else in the kind of closet. But yeah, if, if anyone does feel this way, you know, I've got a couple of trips and a couple of, couple of tips and tricks in my yeah. toolbox. And yeah. the, the, the best thing you can do is reach out. Tell, tell me how bad you feel and I'll make you realize how good you actually are because that's literally all it takes. You are not, you are not at that point. If you're, and especially if you're listening to this podcast and trying to make yourself better, you're definitely not at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Maddie boy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, you're uh, so welcome. Thank you guys. My, my takeaway is like, we're, we're all just people and we're all just kind of average and none of us are bad people. We're all just trying to make it through the day and we all got to start thinking better of ourselves. Better of ourselves. Yeah. Be open to reparenting ourselves and re- learning how to function in this world without hurting other people and you know taking projecting and taking our issues out on other people because the only people we can control is ourselves. and this is like you're a great example of that you had no control over what happened to you but you do have control over your future and what happens to you now yeah it's it's about being honest with yourself and so many times we try and lie and you know that's the way we protect ourselves but you can't lie to yourself forever the only person you're hurting is that little voice inside of you that's not being protected that's who that's who you owe it to start making your apologies to that person and that inner child absolutely yeah make your apologies and say i'm gonna do better i'm gonna we're gonna make this work and then move on and start doing better absolutely Cool. Well, we're, we're calling there. Matt, I love you. You're my homie. You're one of my best buds. I'm so happy. I love I- you guys so much. I'm, it's so nice to see you both. I'm, I, you know, I, I love you guys. Always there for you. And thank you again for having me on. It's so great to speak to you guys. Thank you. Seriously, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. <sighs> that was heavy. And that was a lot. But it was worth it. Like, um... I just, I just gain so much perspective when I hear about other people's situations. And then I think, man, I really shouldn't be complaining about some of the stuff I'm dealing with. Maybe not that's the right thing to say. Every problem is equally important, but maybe the better way to say it is, yeah, I just feel lucky that I haven't had to go through some of these things. Yeah, I do think it's important to not compare yourself and like, well, that person had it worse, so maybe I shouldn't complain because... Each person has their own individual issues yeah. that we all need to get through in order to get to the next part of life. But honestly, Matt, thank you so fucking much for having, for sharing your story and coming on the show and opening a very awful part of your life for other people to relate to and understand and to give a little bit more perspective to a topic that's yeah. just not talked about. 
And just to know that you're not alone out there. Mm-hmm. If anybody has dealt with this ever seriously, please reach out to us. If you don't feel comfortable reaching out to us, please reach out to your local help phone. A family member, your best friend, whoever you feel comfortable sharing with. And I am honored that Matt felt comfortable enough to, to share it with me and you. And Absolutely. in return, all of you guys. So that's the thing. You, whoever you share it with, however you, however you do, but you got to talk about these things to start moving the process forward. Yeah, start processing it and start working on your healing because... Like Matt said, like shit happens and the only thing that we can control is how we respond to situations. Yeah. Um, we've included some helplines in the podcast description below because it is incredibly important to talk about this. We've seen how bottling it up and not dealing with it for so many years in Matt's life affected him so negatively and that was part of the reason he shared this with you. He doesn't want people to have to go through what he's gone through for so many years. Mm-hmm. And so if we can open this conversation and start the dialogue, maybe somebody will get help sooner and it won't affect so many different parts of your life. Yeah. Thank you again for sticking with us. Again, if you guys want to reach out to us, feel free to hit the link in the podcast description below. You can email us at pillowtalkwithmarkandb at gmail.com or reach out on Instagram or Facebook at Pillow Talk with Mark and B. Yeah, and don't forget to support the show on Patreon. Or you can even click the link below. There's one-time dono- donations if you want to just throw us 20 bucks. But, Absolutely. Um, yeah, thank, thanks again for listening. That was crazy. That was crazy. Thank you, thank you, thank you.